You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And today I have with me V Portland. V is the coach who helps people find their fabulous through coaching one-to-one and through her community interest company, through her products through her book, and through her workshops. V, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? Tell us where you live, who you live with, those kinds of things. I live in Southampton on the south coast of the UK with my partner and our three cats, who you might end up hearing meowing or purring or yelling at some (laughs) point throughout this. I run a community interest company, which... For those that don't know, is sort of one step down from a charity. And through the Community Interest Company, I work with children, young people and vulnerable women, teaching them self-esteem and confidence. I also coach women one-to-one. And I'm an author. I've had my first children's book published. And hopefully my second children's book and my first book for adults will be out before Christmas. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you. I am so excited for you. How long ago was your first book out? It came out in March this year. Oh, so you're on fire. It's like one book and then all of a sudden it's just going. That's great. Yeah, with the pandemic happening, I couldn't go into schools or youth groups or all the other places I go into. So it was a case of, well, I'll go to my someday list. You know, I think we've all got one of those one day I'd like to do, but thinking we'll never actually do it. But the pandemic gave me the opportunity, really, silver lining, in that it gave me time to create the happiness products I've created and to write the books. It's been great for that, if nothing else. Right. Oh, that's so wonderful. All right. Well, I need to know what your cat's names are, because I love cats. Oh, they're not easy names. So our oldest one is Tallulah. She's our brain-damaged, semi-feral cat. Oh, my. So she forgets how to cat quite frequently. (laughs) She um, sleeps so deeply that I often have to catch her because she just turns to fluid and falls off things. Uh, (laughs) Then we have Aurelia, who is our Spanish street cat, who doesn't like the heat, so she came over here instead. And then we have Muriel, who I found in the back of a moving truck. So uh, we took her in because black cats aren't generally chosen at rescue centers. So they've they've just come into our lives and they're all very much loved and adored and spoiled, you know, because there are babies. (laughs) My daughter named her cat Fish, which is so crazy. (laughs) And then um, the other daughter named her cat Holly because they got them for Christmas one year. Cats are just pure joy. They are. I had goldfish once called Frog and Hippo. So I'm with your daughter, I'm calling it catfish. So uh, yeah, I just logic. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's get to know you a little bit better with your rapid fire questions. What is your superpower? My superpower is that I can see and hear things that other people don't. Mm. Are you highly sensitive? Yeah, it's, it's great for my work. So, you know, if I'm in a, a room of 15 year old girls, I can hear what they're saying and what, what they're not saying. And it's the, how they're moving their body. So I can pick up on cues that others might not. That is really useful. Very useful. When did you notice that you could do that that other people couldn't do? Probably at quite a young age. I've always been quite good at reading a room. 
so I'm oh, sorry there's one of my cats now fighting one of the others yeah so it's, it's something I've always been able to do I've worked with children a lot I spent a lot of time juggling different personalities and seeing how yes. they work really okay if you could rename yourself what name would you pick I did rename myself oh yeah I changed my name well, it was my 11th birthday last Wednesday. So yeah, I did change all of my birth name. And there's very few people in my life that remember what it was. Oh, interesting. So I chose V, which is the French word for life, to remind myself that I have one. And I chose Portland. And then a friend said, well, V, if you've got a V and a P, you need an I in the middle. So <laughs> I'm V Isabella Portland, and I am a true VIP. It's beautiful. I love it. I love V. I think that says a lot. Why did you choose Portland? Oh, <laughs> well, many years ago, I wrote a couple of short stories for an erotica compendium. And I wrote under a pseudonym. And I picked the name Sophia, spelt like Sophia Loren spells hers, because I think she's just a stunning woman. And I thought, well, the first three letters of Sophia are soft which are the first three letters of soft. So I need to choose a name that has the first three letters of porn. <laughs> so I chose Portland. I don't know, it just stuck, I guess. It just came to you. <laughs> Actually, not many people know that story. <laughs> I'm honoured that you told me. <laughs> uh, I should mention, listeners, the way that V and I connected was through our mutual Facebook group called I Don't Have My Isht Together, which is such a fun Facebook group. Yeah. And I've, I've interviewed one other person from that group. And her interview was a lot of fun. She's an attorney. And she talked about how she got caught dumpster diving in front of opposing counsel before <laughs> a trial one time. And it's a really good one. I'll definitely link to that one in the show notes. <laughs> have you ever met a celebrity? I've actually met lots. I was a nanny for many years, and one of the families I worked for, although they weren't celebrities, that both parents had connections because one of them worked in TV and one of them was in the music industry. So we had people like Pete Townsend from The Who and Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. I would bump into Mick Jagger and, and Jerry Hall at school playground and people like that. The kids would go on tour with the Beastie Boys during school holidays. So they would call up and say hello to me and I'd chat with them. And what are you cooking tonight then? And um, yeah, so I've actually met quite a few. That's so interesting. Huh. Okay, what is your favorite joke? One that the kids I worked with always liked was what goes ha ha bonk. Ha ha bonk? <laughs> I don't know. A man laughing his head off. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I like silly jokes like that too. <laughs> okay, what's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? I've done quite a lot of scary things. Many years ago, I had no confidence, no self-esteem. And I hated people looking at me. I wouldn't have people sing me happy birthday because that meant they were looking at me. And um, then I got very ill and decided that I had to start changing things. So... <laughs> I changed things by starting to learn burlesque and I thought oh, I'll just do it in class and then someone convinced me to do a, a one-off performance and um, I did. How? That was probably the scariest thing and then I went on and I actually became an international performer. What? So I've been a lot of times in front of thousands of people. So yeah, that's quite scary. 
Amazing. That's awesome. Okay. Well, that might explain how you got into helping people with their self-esteem and coaching. Yeah. Is that something you've been doing a long time? It's all been very organic, really, in that I started performing and in building myself up through the performing, people started asking me to teach them burlesque. So I did. And then I started wearing vintage reproduction clothes. I live in 1950s reproduction and they would see me dance and they asked me to teach them to dance. And then I continued to work on myself you know, and grew to like who I am and how I look for the first time ever. And then people started saying, I'm really loving the results you're getting with the people you're working with, but I don't want to dance and I definitely don't want to take my clothes off. So will you teach <laughs> me to feel good about myself? So I did. I started doing that. And then it became more and more apparent, both through my own life and through the women I was working with, that most of us are self-esteem issues tend to start in childhood, generally following some sort of flippant flyaway remark that we hold on to for mm -hmm. decades. And so that's why I thought, well, I'll start with children so that they can learn early on that it's who we are and what we do that matters and that this is yes. just a meat package, really, that we're living in. Oh, so good. I love it. Thank you. I'm excited to check out your books. I'll definitely link to all of them in the show notes. So you've written a couple of children's books and then one yep. for adults. Tell me about the the book for adults. Is it a sort of self-help genre? Yeah. So the, the one for adults is the first part of the book is my life story. So the things I've overcome, you know, the, the reasons why I didn't like who I was, why I felt worthless. So I share all of that. Some of it's quite harrowing, I will admit. And then the second part of the book is about how I've overcome them or how I've learned to live with them, because I have several disabilities as well. So about how I've learned to live with them. And it's about teaching people to live happier, kinder, more confident lives. And it's, I hope, really accessible, because I know that when I was at my worst, self-help books felt insurmountable. They felt like they were written purely by academics or people that didn't have lived experience. So I'm hoping uh -huh. that people reading through this will go, well, V's been through this, which is similar to what I'm going through. So it's really helpful. So it's a source of comfort to know that they're not alone. I hope. Awesome. I'm excited to read that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, guys, this is so much fun. Two weeks in a row, we have another listener story. This week's listener's name is Anna, and she is currently going to school in Utah, but is from central Illinois. She says, Hi, Joanne. My name is Anna, and I'm a sophomore in college studying early childhood education. I'm a huge fan of the show because I think laughter is so ridiculously important, and I love that you emphasize the importance of vulnerability and laughter in not only maintaining, but in creating relationships, which can be just as hard in my opinion. One of my favorite quotes is by Robert Frost, and I think it sums up the essence of the show. If we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. So I have two quick embarrassing stories for you. One is the fact that I'm emailing you from my actual email address. Well, I'm not going to tell you what her email address is, but it is it just sounds like something that she had from when she was a kid. Not nearly as bad, I might add, Anna, as the email addresses that my husband and I gave our girls when we let them start having email because, you know, when they're like seven and nine years old and you think, oh, this is going to be huge. They're going to be so excited to have their own email addresses. They still seem like such little baby girls. So we gave them these cutesy email address names. And <laughs> now they, of course, 
have said, you know, we had to get different email addresses because those just don't sound professional. And my personal email address, which is the four Jarrett's, also I have thought about changing so many times because it's just too long and I have to spell it out for everyone when I'm giving it over the phone. But just like you, Anna, everything is connected to it and I'm just afraid something will slip through the cracks. So on the bad email goes. (laughs) She says, let me tell you, it's a new embarrassing story every time I have to give my email to someone. (laughs) Her second story is, she said, the second one happened a couple of months ago. I was trying to find a summer job before I head back to school and finally got an interview at the Hobby Lobby. The interview was going great and I really wanted this job. At the end, the manager tells me that there's a small math test I have to do. No problem. I'm good at math. Like, really pretty good. So I was feeling plenty confident. I get the math test and it's 16 questions. You have to get eight right to pass. No problem. Until I see that the first few problems are long multiplication, the kind where you're multiplying numbers in the hundreds together and having to carry ones and cross out numbers and add and subtract. And I don't even know what to get the final answer. The problem is I haven't done this kind of math since fifth grade. I mean, really, I start trying to do the first problem and panic because I really have no idea how to do it. I was dying inside, like, give me a calculus problem, please. I could do that, no problem. But this? I decide to move on to the other questions, but I'm so panicked that I psych myself out and can't remember how to do half of those either. I was taking forever and was genuinely worried I wouldn't pass the test. I was taking so long, in fact, that the manager kindly asked if a calculator would help, even though the test said one shouldn't be used. I finally finished and passed, apparently, and got the job. I was very relieved, but also very stressed and embarrassed, and it is still on my list to watch a YouTube video to refresh my memory on long multiplication. (laughs) Anna says, hope this gave you a good laugh, and thank you for all that you do to add good to the world. Love, Anna. Anna... (laughs) Here's the thing. It's not just that, you know, you're going to you're going to panic and you're going to clench if you're under pressure. But add to it the fact that now this isn't blatantly public mental math, but it's public enough because you know that you're being timed kind of and your you know answers are going to be corrected and your job kind of depends on you knowing this stuff. And I just I I freeze every time I have to do mental math. I hate making change because I just do not like to have to do the the mental math required in public that that is required. It's just the strangest thing. So I totally understand. I think it's very sweet that they offered to give you a calculator. And I'm glad you passed. Sounds like you passed by the skin of your teeth. But yay, you passed and you got the job. I hope you like working at Hobby Lobby. It, looks, it seems like a pretty neat place to work. But anyway, thank you so much for your listener story. Please know that you are not alone. Public math is, I think, a hang up for a lot of people. (laughs) As you know, the point of this podcast is to share some not so fancy embarrassing moments so that the listeners remember they're not alone and they see how connection can be forged through sharing these stories. So what do you have for us today? There's so many, so many. (laughs) Um, So I think one of the earliest ones I remember is I am a child of the 70s. So I was a teenager in the 80s wearing rah-rah skirts. And I had this beautiful dress that had 
like a, a bustier type top with a rara skirt attached to it. And because I've always had big boobs, my mum sewed small straps on so that it wouldn't fall down. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the straps couldn't cope with the weight of my breasts, oh, so they broke, oh. which was fine. And then I was about 14 at the time, and we were at a party, and there was this very handsome older boy there, you know, he must have been at least 17. And uh, I leaned over thinking I was being all just flirty, and my left boob fell out and hit him in the head. Oh, no! <laughs> Probably made his day. (laughs) Oddly, we never spoke. (laughs) I just run away. (laughs) You just gather it back in and pretend that didn't happen. Flee the scene. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Oh, I can't imagine. I have my kids are 16 and 17, my daughters. I can't imagine that happening. Oh, you poor thing. How humiliating. But in in retrospect, how funny. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. At the time, I was mortified, you know, and like, I'm never leaving the house again. But, um, you know, as an adult, I find it hysterically funny. (laughs) I think the story that got us talking to each other on Facebook had something to do with food. Can you remember what that story was? Yeah, one of my many food injuries. So, um, One of my conditions that I live with is a, a rare skin condition called EB. And it means that heat and friction cause me to blister. Okay. So... I tend not to sleep with any clothes on because I don't like getting too hot because then I'll blister. And one morning, not so long ago, I just got up and I put a dressing gown on, a robe on to go downstairs to eat my breakfast. And my partner very kindly made me some pan au chocolat, you know, very nice. And I had them on my lap just out of the oven. And I leaned forward to get my fruit juice off of the coffee table in front of me and my right boob fell out, landed on the croissant, and I burnt my boob. So, <laughs> yeah, but, see, they're big. They get in the way a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Those boobs have a mind of their own, man. They're, they're a oh, they skate artist. <laughs> they really are. I went into burlesque, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of that, tell me about your disco ball pasties. Oh, yeah. So I did traditional burlesque. So I did comedy burlesque. And one of the acts was that I started off as someone who was down and out. So I had on a woolly hat and gloves and a big overcoat. And as the the songs go on, I turn into a disco diva. And as I got down to my bra, my bra had two tiny disco balls on, one on, on each breast that I would tassel twirl. And then one time I was performing in Denmark. And one of them just flew off and flew across the room and hit someone in the front row, (laughs) hit his face on the left-hand side. Thankfully, he took it very kindly and thought it was hysterical and asked if he could keep it. Um, (laughs) He kept the souvenir. Yeah. Good thing he didn't actually have his eyeball. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Thankfully, this is why insurance is important. Um, But, yeah, thankfully, he took it all in good fun and and he thought it was really funny as did the audience so uh, it worked out okay but at the time it was one of those you know when you have like a thousand thoughts go through your head in a second yeah I'm going to get sued oh no I'm defined again (laughs) that's wardrobe malfunction you've had a couple of wardrobe yeah boy 
Absolutely. I did it before Janet Jackson. I was there first. Uh You were the original (laughs) wardrobe malfunction. I I agree. (laughs) I'm not sure it's something to be acclaimed to fame, really. Well, (laughs) we take what we can get, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Tell me about meeting Gordon Ramsay. Oh, so like I said earlier, I've met a lot of famous people and I'm not at all flustered by it. I'm not someone who gets starstruck. You know, I'll happily sit and chat with them over a cup of tea. Not a problem. But Gordon Ramsay, I had a huge crush on him. And he came to Southampton, my hometown. And it was just after I got very ill with both my mental and physical health. So I wasn't in a very good place at all. And I was queuing to go and get my book signed by him. And I could hear him asking people, you know, what's your name and what do you do? And I'm thinking, I can't tell him I'm a Fruit Loop. I can't tell him that I don't work. I can't tell him all of these things. I can't say, oh, I've got a mental health illness. Yes, I can't tell him any of these things. So I got there to him and he asked my name and I told him. He said, and what do you do? And I just went, I'm a student. And I cook (laughs) and I held my arms out. And the night before, I'd put something in the oven. And when I got it out, one of my conditions causes me to spasm. I spasmed and the oven tray did somersaults up my arm and left all these burn marks down both sides of my arms. Oh, ouch. And I just showed him my arms and he looked at me and nodded to security because he thought I was a a bit weird. Um, So (laughs) I left very quickly and I've been too scared to read any of his books since in case he talks about weird stalker women (laughs) that he's met. If anyone has read his book and he does mention it, please let me know. But did you leave with your signed copy at least? Oh, I did. Yeah, of course. Good. <laughs> good. <I> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think that was very uncharitable of him. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to say. At the time, I rarely left the house. You know, I was very hermit-like. So I didn't meet people very often. So, and I probably looked very grey and gaunt and uh, so I wasn't looking after myself. So I probably looked quite scary, to be fair. Um, uh, all right. Well, I always used to wear my hair down to cover my face and I'd always wear big black baggy clothes. So I probably did look quite intimidating. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I can see his point. <laughs> Okay, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt then. Yeah, but I I don't want to meet him again, thanks. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I'm in support of that. That might be traumatic. (laughs) He wouldn't recognize you, that's for sure. Well, that's true. (laughs) Do you want to tell me a little bit more specifically about your children's books? Having worked with children most of my life... (laughs) Children like public transport. So that means I've spent a lot of time (laughs) at bus stops and at train stations. And I've heard so many children say to the adult they're with, where are we going? And the adult will go, shut up, I've told you where we're going. Or shut up, I'm on the phone. And I understand why, you know, children can be tiring. That's sort of their modus operandi in some cases. And I can understand, you know, for the parents or the adults that at primary school, We're taught to be imaginative, yet the older we get, the more we're told to grow up and not use our imaginations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't have confidence. So I wanted to write a storybook for young children, their picture books aimed at three to seven-year-olds, and to show that 
in the same amount of time it takes to say, shut up, I told you where we're going, you could say we're going on a rainbow sea in a boat filled with bubbles. And you could go anywhere. You could go on a magical carpet ride. So it was about encouraging imagination. But another element of it that's really important to me is that less than 4% of books generally have a child with, uh, have a character with a disability in. Mm. And when they do, it's about the disability, which is understandable. That's how we raise awareness, how people get to know about different conditions. But it's also pointing out our otherness. You know, you are different from me because. Mm -hmm. So in my story, the main character, Emily, has a prosthetic limb. But it's not mentioned in the story because I want the readers to see that we've got far more in common with her than that which makes us different. So the disability is not mentioned until the activity questions at the back of the book. And quite often people are like, well, I didn't notice because they're so engaged in the story. And then they read it again and there's questions about, you know, about whether the children would be friends with her because there are studies showing that children will often choose not to be friends with children that look different to them, whether that be because they're of a higher weight or because they've got a disfigurement or a disability or because they're a different colour. So it was about encouraging everyone, all the readers, adult and child alike, to see that we do all have far more in common than we think we do. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And what is that book called? So the first one was called Where Are We Going? And the second one, which I'm running a crowdfunder, this it's on the last week now, is called Who Am I? So this one, it's Emily again, a different story, so you don't need to read both of them in, in order or anything. But in this one, she's asking the big question of who am I? And her mum comes back with lots of confidence-boosting affirmations to help her see that it's who we are and what we do that matters. You know, it's... Yes about what we do for our world and and how we can make the world a kinder place. So, yeah, that's my whole ethos, really, across all of my business. Oh, I love it. How wonderful. Tell my listeners all the places where they can find you online. So I'm, I can generally be found quite easily because where V isn't a proper name. um, There's generally only, I think there's only one V on the whole of Facebook. So my business is Venus CIC, that's V-I-E-N-E-S-S-C-I-C, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. So yeah, I'm easily found. And my website is www.venus.co.uk. Well, V, it has been so much fun talking to you today. I just love your mission. I think it's absolutely incredible what you do and essential for our world. And I just wish there were more people like you. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast this week. Wasn't V amazing? I thought her mission was so particularly wonderful and her story so charming and I just really enjoyed talking to her. Next week on the show, we have Teresa Bodecker, who is another author with some more funny stories. and. Hopefully, we will have another listener story for you next week. Have a wonderful week, and remember, no one is as fancy as they look. <laughs>